Payo is a payment platform made by Hospital for Hospital. And their new self-checkout technology, Payo Checkout, is here to help you manage your venue. It lets your customers easily settle the bill at the end of their meal in seconds by scanning a Payo Checkout QR code on their table. Start offering self-checkout for your customers and save an average of 10 minutes per table with Payo Checkout, the fastest way to pay in hospitality venues. Visit payo.com.au. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Ash Ellis, and thank you for tuning in. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We are straight-talking, ethical-minded, and a reliable online source of information and inspiring for people in the hospitality industry. Today, we have what I have no doubt will be a great podcast with Emmy Feingold, the founder of The Sweet Potato Kitchen. Emmy has a great ethos around food and has experienced a very interesting journey with how she views food in general, some of which we'll touch upon today. So I read an article on you uh, not too long ago uh, with Cookaburra, and you spoke about sort of the nourishing feeling that you get with cooking and, um, you know, sort of cooking for other people. And I guess, you know, I can I can sort of relate to that in a sense, but I was really curious as to... You know, where did that stem from for you? It's in my blood. Yeah. My family's Jewish and everything's about food. Yeah. It's how we come together and show love and celebrate and mourn. It's, yeah, it's just a part of our family. Yeah. Um, and so it's not something that I've cultivated. It's yeah. just who I am. Just always, always been there and mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think... For me, you know, I grew up in a big family and it was always about, you know, dinner around the table. doesn't matter how busy you are, you know, you always make sure that you, you get home at the end of the day. And it's, I guess, you know, your chance to connect. I think that's the, the centralised theme yeah, of it all. Definitely, whether it's like a fiery connection or a sad connection or a loving connection, it's, yeah, it's just <laughs> always around food. Yeah, I like yeah. that. So tell me, tell me about your journey as a as a vegetarian. What what's that been like? Have you always have you grown up in a in a vegetarian household, or is that sort of developed over the years? Not at all. Um, my dad was vegetarian for about thirteen years, and when I was younger, my parents were following a bit of a macrobiotic hmm. diet. Um, but when I was about twelve, I found out what happens. Like the killing and the blood and it freaked me out. And I just love animals so much Mm. Um, and I just couldn't bring myself to eat meat anymore. Yeah. But at the time it wasn't really popular, I guess. Like none of my friends were vegetarian and no one in my family was and um, I got asked some pretty weird questions. (laughs) Yeah. and, like, going out to eat was pretty uninspiring. Like, maybe you'd get a mushroom risotto. Yeah. Um, maybe a garden salad, <laughs> you know. So, um, it was, uh, yeah, it was something that really became part of my identity. Mm. Um, and I, but I guess because I was young, I didn't really know about, like, you know, combining proteins or yeah. how to make it healthy. 
Um, and I didn't really care. Like as a teenager, you just want to hang out with your friends and be a rebel and all those sorts of things. Yeah. So I had a lot of health issues associated um, with being a vegetarian. But, yeah, as I right. said, it was so much a part of who I was. That, yeah. Um, yeah, held on to it for a really long time. Mm, that's really interesting. So you felt that it was less about – I know you, t- you spoke about sort of the, the animal welfare side of things, but was it did it become less about that over time and more just a case of I'm a vegetarian, this is who I am, and it was sort of difficult to pull away from that? Um, no, it was always associated with the animals. Yeah. Um, that was what I was sort of holding on to. Like it was in my heart. Mm. And still, I, even though I'm not a vegetarian anymore, I still yeah. am very precious about where I source proteins from yeah. and I love vegetables and, yeah, it's sort of the basis of how I cook. So, yeah, it's, it's part of my identity, but it's really associated with animal welfare yeah. as well. And so tell me about that, that transition. What was... What, what fueled that and, and yeah, what does that look like um, for you now? I was really unwell. Mm-hmm. I had really crazy gut issues. Okay. I got to a stage that I just didn't know where to turn. Mm. I tried so many different things and my sister started making me bone broth, yep. which was incredibly confronting because it had been about 20 years since I'd had any meat products at all. Um, and I started to cook with it a little bit to like hide the flavor, Mm. um, until I became okay with it. And then I started to eat a little bit of fish and then eventually I started to crave a bit of meat. Okay. Um, and it was, it was really confronting. Like, as I said, because it was part of, I felt that it was part of my identity. It was something that I really changed. Um, and it was very hard at the time. But also it opened up a whole new world of flavour to me mm. that I'd never experienced before. And because food had become such a struggle during my gut issues, yeah, yeah. Um, all of a sudden it was like this fun flavour journey that I was on yeah. um, while healing at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So what, what was the root of your, of your gut issues? Was it because you, you weren't eating meat or was it from something else? Um. My gut was always a really weak point for me. Like um, it was always where I felt anxiety as a child and I was sort of diagnosed with IBS and sent on my way. Yeah. (laughs) When I was about 30, I got this crazy bout of gastro Mm. and my body just shut down and blocked up and stopped working. Um, And it turned out I had leaky gut. Mm. So it just felt like I was intolerant to everything. Yeah. And I eliminated everything and saw so many doctors and practitioners and tried so many herbs and vitamins and so many different things to try to heal. Um, It got to the stage that I was eating kale and eggs and blueberries and that was it. That was it. And then (laughs) like a um, Chinese acupuncturist told me how hard kale and eggs can be to digest and I lost it. I just like felt so alone and didn't really know where to turn. So it was just blueberries. <laughs> just blueberries, <laughs> exactly. And that's when the I became a bit more open to the bone broth idea. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then so from that, was that just a great gradual progression in terms of you feeling better within yourself? Um, yeah, it's been very gradual. Yeah. That was probably maybe five years ago. Okay. And it's still a journey. Like it's not – I'm not completely healed. Yeah. Um, but, 
Yeah, it's a process. <laughs> it's a process. Yeah, I think I, I can relate to that. I think um, you get a, get to a point in your in your journey where that has to just become a level of acceptance where it's just you know I've I've, I've experienced this. This is what I've dealt with. Fine, you know, like you you can't. It and it's difficult, right? Because I, I think we've sort of spoken about this before, where you kind of look at other people and it's like, well, it, you know, it's not fair. Why can they have this and them? <laughs> why can I have bread and, and cheese and, and be absolutely fine? And mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's just the ideal place is just that acceptance of this is just who I am and this is where I'm at. And you know, you have your good days and your bad days, and you can sort of try and compromise a little bit here and there. But it always sort of comes back to uh, you know, I won't do that too often, just in case. Yeah, and. You know, um, I've learned so much mm. throughout this. I've learned so much about food um, and about produce and about um, clean eating and low-tox lifestyle and um, different ways of approaching food in the kitchen and for your body and different times of eating and different like practices that are used all over the world. And it's really become a, a source of information for me um, because that's all I could think about for so long. Yeah. So I think thinking about it like that, all the things that I've learned and um, all the people that I've connected with that, mm. you know, once you start opening up about what you're going through, yeah. you know, you're not really alone. So that's been really powerful for me. Yeah, Like you said, you've had your own struggles. Yeah, I have. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a long journey for me as well. And it's been a lot of going back and forth and a lot of sort of sitting down with myself and just figuring out what it is that I need as well. I think it's very easy to compare yourself to how you used to be. You know, if you were at one point healthy, quote unquote, and then you weren't all of a sudden, you sort of resent the fact that you're not who you used to be. And I feel like that almost makes it worse, you know, in terms of aggravating those symptoms and the stress that builds up within you because of that. You have your good days and your bad days. I totally resonate with like holding on to thinking about who I was or um, different stages of your life. And, you know, I guess if you look at us as holistic beings, Mm. you know, if you're stressed or you're holding on emotionally to something, it manifests in your body, Yeah, you know. So even though it's really hard to step away from like the acute suffering that you're experiencing in a particular moment, mm. trying to have a more um, yeah, holistic view of what's going on can be really powerful. Yeah. Even though it's so hard sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. And to, yeah, you sort of see yourself becoming someone else in that process and to try and figure out who that is, is, is also quite difficult. But yeah. It's, I think it's also a fun journey as well, you know. It's a journey. <laughs> definitely a journey. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you sort of sp- you spoke about the people that you've met along the way. Have you, have you found that you've been able to sort of build a really good network around you because you're more connected with that part of yourself now? Definitely I have a really good support network and I've met um, some amazing people and a lot of them like I'm still in contact with now. Mm-hmm. I think that it's an ever-growing thing and it's mm-hmm. something that I'd like to build more, mm-hmm. especially in Melbourne. I feel like yeah. I've met a lot of people while, while travelling 
But yeah, it's definitely a community I would like to build on. And so the sweet potato kitchen. Yeah. Why, why sweet potatoes? What is it about that specific vegetable? They're the best. <laughs> <laughs> They're just so um, warming and nurturing. Mm. Um, I love them. Yeah. And I guess the, I, I have a, um, a, I had a food relief program during lockdown called mm-hmm. the Sweet Potato Project. Yeah. And so the idea was that I'm the sweet potato and that's my project and this is what comes out of my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think that's such a great idea. I like can't say it without smiling. Like I just, well, yeah, I, I I'm just that's a great <laughs> thing though, isn't yeah. it? I mean, the fact that it, it brings a smile every time you, you know, you, um, you know, you talk about that. That's that's a really that's a really good sign. Yeah, so I couldn't I couldn't go past it once I realized that I giggled every time I said it. Yeah. Um that was it. Hmm. And then so you said you you sort of kickstarted that during COVID. Is that something that you want to focus more on in the future or sort of where do you see where do you see with that? Well, during lockdown there was such a um intense need for um food relief and so many large companies came in and was were doing similar things to what I was doing mm-hmm. um, and it's something that I've put on hold at the moment but it's definitely something that I'd like to reactivate in the future. Yeah, okay. And then tell me about the Sweet Potato Kitchen in general. What is it? Tell, yeah, tell me about mm-hmm. the brand. Well, I cook um, organic, seasonal, local, delicious food mm-hmm. and I sell it online um, through a platform called Kookaburra yep. that connects um customers with home cooks mm-hmm. um and i also wholesale some vegan meals to series mm. who, which is a company that deliver organic fruit and vegetable boxes around melbourne okay. so they have also um, dry goods and um organic body stuff and they're starting to move into some more ready-made food mm. okay and then when did you when did you start the, the sweet potato kitchen um, I started it about a year ago. Okay. Um, it was in the last lockdown. Yeah. I um, yeah, it was a little passion project that I wanted to activate. Um, so mm. it's it's pretty new. Okay. And what was the prompt for that? What what made you say this is this is it? This is when I'm going to start something. Well, I'd had some experience over the year, but the previous year, cooking in a commercial kitchen, doing the food relief. Yeah. Um, so I'd sort of built up a bit of confidence in bulk food and working with like all the fun, massive machines mm. <laughs> in the kitchen. Yeah. So I felt more more comfortable and more confident. Um, and so it just sort of sprung from that. Yeah. I wanted to cook more and I wanted to um, diversify my offering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to cook food that I cook for myself, for yeah. other people. And what's the reception been like for that to say that you, you know, you like to cook food that you would cook for yourself? Was that intimidating for you to, to sort of put that out there for the people? I wouldn't necessarily say it was intimidating. It's been a lot of trial and error mm. because, you know, something that you would cook in your home isn't necessarily commercially viable. Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily just because you like it isn't necessarily yeah. what other people like. Yeah. So it's been quite humbling in that respect, okay. but it's it's fun. Mm. And then, do you have a favorite? Was it you know a top seller, or do you have a favorite 
dish that you that's on the menu? <laughs> My top seller is um, a I do like this charred ocean trout um, stir fry that's mm. got a whole bunch of seasonal greens in it and the ocean trout's like marinated tamari and ginger and chili and sesame oil and um, just yeah like crispy on the outside and yeah, yeah so that's definitely a top seller. Sounds really good. Sounds <laughs> really good. So you mentioned when you were younger about, you know, being a, a vegetarian and your, your love for animals. And I know you've obviously progressed into eating animal-based products now. What has that been like for you in terms of cooking with those products and, and serving the, and serving those products as well? Um, it's definitely been a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Firstly, as somebody that thought they were a pretty good cook... <laughs> <laughs> it was a whole new frontier yeah. um, and really confronting like to the flesh of mm. an animal um, and wanting to connect with that in the kitchen yeah. um, and treat it with the utmost respect. Yeah. Also educating myself on where it comes from, um, what organic means, what yeah. grass-fed and finished means, mm. what's the difference between free-range and organic, yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, have been really important for me um, and in terms of serving it to other people, just ensuring that where I source my produce from, yeah. I really believe in their ethical practices mm-hmm. and that all I can do is treat it with the utmost respect in the kitchen and hope that people in, not only enjoy it but find it nourishing as well. Yeah. Meat isn't something that I eat all the time and it's not something that I cook all the time either, but it is something that I offer. And as I said, I just hope that it's as nourishing as possible. And then how did you go about sourcing the meat in essence? You know, how did, did you visit farms? Was it sort of networking? Like how, how, how did you go about that? I spoke to a lot of people at farmer's markets. Mm. Um, I, lo- I love farmer's markets. They're like my happy place. <laughs> it was funny one uh, farmer's market that I visited when I decided I wanted to start making my own bone broth. Mm-hmm. The butch, not the butcher, the farmer sold me a beef knuckle mm-hmm. and he was so excited that like I used to be a vegetarian and now I was there. And I just sort of, I tried to explain to him like this is part of my journey and, yeah. you know, thank you for talking to me about um, your practices. Mm-hmm. In the kitchen, for the for the sweet potato kitchen, I source all of my meat products from Cherry Tree Organics. Mm-hmm. Um, I really believe in their practices yep. and their product. Okay. How much would you say your Jewish heritage has influenced your approach to food? Hugely. I think that's in my heart why I believe it's so connected to community. Mm-hmm. I think the way that I cook you know, resonates with the way that my grandmothers used to cook as well. Like yeah. Probably my servings are too big and <laughs> I like to put everything out there. But I think that it's definitely, um, even if I'm not consciously thinking about it, mm. um, it's definitely part of the essence of the way that I cook and serve. Do you see uh, the Sweet Potato Kitchen being a standalone venue at any point? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is that? Uh, I think that that... Uh, ties it into just being one thing mm. and at the moment I'm a one-woman show yep. um, I want the ability to be a bit more fluid mm-hmm. and work on a little a lot of different projects um, and having a brick and mortar or a standalone venue 
I see as a bit prohibitive. Mm, okay. Do you have any advice for people who are in a similar situation to, to where you were a couple of years ago who were sort of looking at you know, starting a side hustle or whatever it is? You know, yeah, any advice? Ask lots of questions and like connect with people on local Facebook groups and just it's fine not to know anything. You know, if you want to do something, just try. Yeah. Um, and I, the more people that you connect with and the more questions that you ask, the closer you get to trying something new yeah. and um, doing, you know, what you want to do. So I think it's just about voicing, putting it out there, like I want to do this and how do I do this and asking people that actually know. Because yeah. you don't just all of a sudden know, oh, I know how to start a food business or, yeah. you know, connect with customers or plan recipes or do costings or, you know, you have to learn all those things. Yeah. And then were, were there any sort of big challenges that you that you came across that you sort of really struggled with in the process? Um, yes, definitely. Lots. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. <laughs> the whole thing is really hard, but I, it's really fulfilling and I like it a lot. And yeah. It brings me joy. Um, I love connecting with my customers and, um, yeah, cooking for people is mm. the best. So, yeah. <laughs> I like that. So who are, who are your customers? What kind of, yeah, what kind of customers are you attracting? Well, at the moment it's pretty local. Mm-hmm. Busy people, yep. new mums, mm. families, uh, people that value like high quality organic produce, people that really like to cook actually, which has been really interesting. We end up having really long chats about cooking and what they have time to cook or what they would like me to cook for them. So it's a real real range of people, but it's generally people that love food. How how did you put yourself out there? Because I guess it went from, hey, I've got an idea, Mm. to here's the idea, to now I need to get people to, you know, enjoy the idea that I've put out there? Like, how, how did you network yourself? Um, my sister helped, helped me a lot. She's got a food business. Um, I, as I said, reached out to a few people on um, different Facebook groups. I posted on this Facebook group called Like-Minded Bitches Drink Wine. It's, <laughs> it's the best. Um, it's like thousands of women in business and it's a really supportive um, platform. You can ask any question and you get like 50 responses. Wow, okay. It's incredible. Um, and I posted that I was what I was doing and that I was looking for places to market it, mm-hmm. um, looking for customers, and somebody from Kookaburra saw my post and said, Emmy, like, you need to contact me. I've got the answer for you. Wow. Um, so that was a, a real stepping, stepping zone, t- turning point <laughs> for, for me. Yeah, both. <laughs> it was all the things. Yeah. Yeah. And what next? What next for the sweet potato kitchen? What's the what's on the horizon? Um, I want to start taking gut healing cooking classes mm. and workshops, and I'd also like to start cooking at retreats. Yeah, I really love being in that environment where um, people are healing, and um, it's like a capsule where everybody's really supportive. And I think food is such a giant part of that. Yeah. Um, so if I can contribute to that experience um, through my food, it would really fulfilling and yeah. something that I'd really love to do. I really like that idea. I think um, through I think my own journey and people that I've met, I think it's it can be 
quite intimidating sometimes when you have issues that you're trying to sort out and you can almost feel quite isolated in that process. And I feel having a place for people to go to, whether it is a retreat or even just a cooking class, you know, for them to say, you know, well, I've, I've learned some, I've learned some recipes and I've also been able to network with people who experience something similar to myself. I think that's important. And I think also just networking as a whole, you know, we, we're social creatures and, and I think that can really, um, really help in the healing process as well, I think. Yeah, it's all about community. Yeah. It's the best. It really is. So, yeah, that's what I, yeah, I want to build that community and for people to always feel that, you know, they can ask or share something that they're going through Mm -hmm. um, because that's something that I really lacked on my journey and it's really important to me and I, the more people I talk to, it's important to them as well. Where's the best place where people can find more information about you? I think the best place would be to go to my Instagram account, which is at the Sweet Potato Kitchen. There's a link to my menu and lots of photos of my food and um, you can contact me directly through there as well. Perfect. Great. Thank you so much, Emmy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. Hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. Please comment, like and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. We are making this content with the industry in mind, so we would really appreciate you sharing it with those that you know. Payo is a payment platform made by Hospo for Hospo. And their new self-checkout technology, Payo Checkout, is here to help you manage your venue. It lets your customers easily settle the bill at the end of their meal in seconds by scanning a Payo Checkout QR code on their table. No apps, no downloads required. Give your customers the convenience of lightning-fast contactless payments and the option to split the bill however they like. Get more tips with Payo Checkout's integrated tipping system and get paid upfront once your customers have confirmed their payment. Start offering self-checkout for your customers and save an average of 10 minutes per table with Payo Checkout, the fastest way to pay in hospitality venues. Setting up Payo Checkout is seamless and pain-free. Visit payo.com.au.